Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us into your home and a special shout out to Alder Grove CLCC. Trust you're having a great day. Great to spend this time with you. We're in this series that we've entitled Living in Babylon. And I want to talk today about Babylonian currents. You know, whenever we seek to be faithful to the Lord, we have some tough decisions to make, and they're often quite unpopular. Uh, decisions about language, <laughs> decisions about clothing, what appropriate to wear, decisions about our entertainment, decisions about social media that's appropriate. And uh, for anyone who has teenagers in their home, they know that they have gone through these discussions many times. If you are in a Christian home, there are things being said all the time like, uh, you can't wear that to school, or really? Uh, really? That's not the language that we use around here. That's inappropriate language. And you know what? We're not going to watch that movie. Uh, that's inappropriate. So we know that being a follower of Jesus, being a faithful uh, and, and to the Lord means that we're going to have to make some tough and unpopular decisions from time to time. We often find ourselves, in other words, swimming against the current of popular opinion. And uh, this is an experience common to all people for all time who've tried to be faithful to the Lord. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Atlantic Canada, I used to like to swim in the ocean in front of my uncle's cottage. And what I learned very quickly was that you have to be very careful if the tide is going out, not to swim away from the shore because the tide moves far more rapidly than you expect. And before you know it, you're way out in the, uh, in the bay and uh, it's very tough to make it back to shore. So I learned if you were swimming in the ocean to always remember to swim against the tide so that I would swim parallel to the shore, slightly against the tide if the tide was going out. The best time to swim is at a slack tide or an ebb tide where the tide is at full height or full in, in its uh, lowest point so that you can uh, swim without being so concerned about the tide. But the tide moves. And, and as followers of Jesus or as people of faith, we're often finding that we're swimming against the tide, swimming against the popular opinion. This should not surprise us. First Peter chapter 4 uh, the Apostle Peter said to those he was writing to, you should not be surprised at this fiery trial that's come upon you because this is what it means to be the people of God. Uh, you see, uh, swimming against the current isn't unique to this generation. Now, uh, over the last 5, 10, 15 years, we've noticed that as followers of Jesus, there are certain things that are happening in our culture that, that we, just, we just can't accept, we just can't tolerate, we just don't, we don't feel that we can fully participate because they really come against the values that we hold as kingdom people. Uh, but this shouldn't be surprising to us. Uh, this is the way of the kingdom of God. This has always been the way of people who have endeavored to be faithful. In fact, in the book of Acts, uh, the people of God were called the children of the way or the people of the way because they lived differently than people in the Roman culture lived. Um, uh, 
And, and by the way, this is not outside God's plan. God allows these, these challenges, these, these, uh, these currents, these cross currents to, to affect us in order to test us and in order to strengthen us. So in our story, this takes place 600 years before Christ. The Babylonians have captured the southern kingdom of Judah, and they have taken hostage the best and brightest of the young people to serve in Babylon. Babylon was, and the, the whole area was growing so rapidly that they were, they were recruiting new talent, so to speak. There was a brain drain going on from other countries as they were endeavoring to find the best and brightest people to serve in their, in their courts, in their palaces, and in their government institutions. Now, keep in mind that Babylon in biblical literature is a metaphor for opposition to the kingdom of God. So in biblical metaphor, the New Jerusalem, the holy city, which will come down from above in, in the book of Revelation, is the, the place where goodness and grace and mercy and all those things are present. And Babylon is seen as the opposition to all of that. In fact, in Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, uh, when the new heaven and the new earth is established, a call will go out, a cry will come up and say, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So the book of Daniel tells the story about four Hebrew young men swimming against the current of Babylonian culture. They're chosen from among the nobility, they're smart, they're handsome, they're well-educated, and they've been conscripted to serve in the king's court. And their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These young men face four cultural currents that push against them. And that's what I want to talk about today, these four cultural currents that pushed against them. First of all, their names were changed. Their names were changed to Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That not, might not seem much to us, but these names were, were quite offensive. Uh, their names, uh, before they were changed, meant God is my judge, the Lord shows grace, who is what God is, and the Lord helps. Their names were changed to, to Bel, protect his life, command of Aku, who is what Aku is, and the servant of Nago. So their names were changed to reflect the names of pagan gods. This, this would have been just really tough for uh, Hebrew people to, to be named uh, after foreign pagan gods. It, it must have been really hard. And, and I imagine that in private, in private, Daniel and his friends called themselves by their Hebrew names. It was perhaps only in public that their, their names were uh, uh, changed and used this way. Uh, these were offensive names, uh, but they accepted them. They didn't seem to have a huge problem with them. Uh, and I think the reason was, is that one of their ancestors, Joseph, remember Joseph had been sold into slavery into Egypt and worked for Pharaoh and became second power in, in that kingdom. He had had his name changed by Pharaoh, and he got along pretty well, even though his name had been changed. So they had a, an example for them that, that someone who, who was a hero of the faith had, had accepted his name being changed, and so they were okay with that. I'm sure, well, maybe they weren't okay with it, but they accepted it. The second current that really came across what they believed was that they had to attend Babylonian school. They had to attend school for three years. 
They had to learn a new language, they had to learn about a new culture, and they had to learn about pagan practices. You see, part of this schooling would have been schooling about witchcraft and sorcery and magic and all of those things that were uh, involved in the various kinds of worship that were going on in Babylon, which was polytheistic. They worshiped many gods and were involved in all kinds of uh, sacrifices and activities that would have really come against or gone against the, uh, the, the beliefs of the Hebrew children, of the Hebrew young men. But keep in mind that these guys were already well-educated in their Hebrew faith. Uh, these weren't kindergarten students going to Babylonian schools. These were, these were mature students. This was more like going to graduate school. And mature students do not have to believe or agree with what they're taught in school. I, I learned this uh, studying zoology as a, as a follower of Jesus at, at UBC. And that uh, they taught all kinds of things that were antagonistic uh, to what I believe, naturalism and evolutionism and all these kinds of things. And, and when you're at university, you'll, you'll run into all kinds of people who are atheists, philosophy professors, psychology professors, biology professors who are atheists. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to believe in what they believe in. What you have to do is understand what they believe and be able to write exams to show that you've understood the material. And so the, these, these young men accepted this education. Uh, they weren't harmed by it. And, and they had an example, again, from the past. Moses. Remember Moses, their greatest prophet, who was raised by the Egyptian uh, king in, in, in Pharaoh's palace. And he went to Egyptian school. And uh, all, he was trained by his mom and his sisters in the, in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of God. But he went to Egyptian school, and he fared pretty well. And so they accepted the education and they excelled at it. Well, thirdly, they're required to serve in a government position in a Gentile nation. This is the nation that had destroyed their homeland and that destroyed their company, probably had killed some of their friends and relatives in the takeover of, of, uh, of Judah. And yet they were required to serve in that country. That must have been tough to, to take. But you have to remember that Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 to 7, in there Jeremiah the prophet, knowing that this was take place, had some advice to give the children of Israel when they ended up in captivity in Babylon. And this is what he said. He says, when you're there, build, plant, marry, and seek the welfare of Babylon. In other words, when you're, when you're captured by this country, which has, is an instrument of God to teach Israel something, about what it truly means to be faithful to the Lord. While you're there, do the best you can to see that Babylon survives, that Babylon, in fact, will uh, continue to go on. Actually, Babylon falls, and uh, the Assyrians are going to take over Babylon and, uh, by the end of Daniel's life. But Babylon, in fact, was God's instrument in teaching Israel something about what it meant to be faithful. And we're seeing this played out in the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the fourth current that, that affected them, that was really at cross-purposes to, to what they believed and who they were as, as faithful uh, children of God, is that they were given food to eat from the king's table. Uh, this was gourmet food. This was the best. Uh, steak, um, the best kind of food available. But it wasn't kosher. It wasn't cooked the way 
the children of Israel were taught to cook their food. So it wasn't kosher, and it was probably sacrificed to idols because most food in those days was, uh, the wine was poured out as a, as a sacrifice to a certain god, and the food was given to that god or to the statue of that god as a symbol of how everything belonged to that god. And this, this was very distasteful to the Jewish young men. And this is where they drew the line. This is where they said, no, we don't want to do this. That's a bridge too far for us. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He resolved in his heart that this is where he had to draw the line. Let, let's read the story from Daniel chapter 1, verse 11 to 17. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So Daniel and his friends draw the line and politely push against the current of those days to eat this non-kosher uh, food sacrifice to idols. And we see that the Lord in, intervenes. Now, for 10 days, they, they tried a little test. You know, we're not going to eat steak anymore. We're only going to eat vegetables. We're not going to drink wine anymore. We're only going to eat vegetables and drink water. And in 10 days, these guys looked in better shape than the guys who were eating the best of foods. Now, I find it hard to believe that this is just a physical reality. I, I can't imagine giving up steak and eating vegetables and looking a lot better after, uh, after 10 days. They've gone to a vegetarian diet, uh, but we have to understand that God is intervening throughout the story. After all, he was intervening in bringing the Babylonians to Jerusalem to attack them. And he gave them the victory over the, the people of Israel because of this lesson that he was trying to tell them. And throughout the story, you'll find that God is giving favor to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in enabling them to excel in what they're learning and excel in what they're doing so that they find favor in the court, so that they, they rise to positions of authority and power. Also, don't forget that Daniel and these guys, they're prayerful guys. This isn't a decision to draw the line here, just made out of, well, I think this is where we draw the line. This is probably a very prayerful thing. As in our lives, many times we encounter things like this. We encounter issues that at work or maybe at school or maybe in our family life where, or, or in the culture and government policy where we say, Lord, is, is this the place where we need to draw the line? And and this is decision that's been made, uh, has to be made prayerfully. And sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ may not make this the same decision that we're making because they have a different background than us. Perhaps they have different temptations and different issues going on in their lives. But I believe this is a prayerful decision that Daniel and his friends make not to eat this food and to draw the line here. And they politely refuse. Now, Notice as our story goes on, as you probably know the story about Daniel and Lion's Den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, times are going to get tougher. 
the issues that they're going to face, the currents that they're going to face are far more significant than eating food. And I believe that this is really, this particular issue is strengthening their swimming muscles, is helping them to learn how God intervenes if you take the right stand, if you prayerfully consider how to respond to culture. God will intervene and help you in the midst of that. They're, they're really um, strengthening their swimming muscles because times are going to get a lot tougher for them and they're going to have to make far tougher decisions. But I think the success of this decision is encouraging them so that they can make those decisions in the future knowing that God will be present with them. So the king in verse 20 of chapter 1, finds them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now, the king, the king that was the heathen king was not so impressed with their religion, but with their submissive spirit, their strong bodies, and their scholarship. You see, the pagan king was a polytheist. He was very happy to accept and welcome the Hebrew God into his pantheon of gods. Uh, maybe another feather in his cap, maybe another God that perhaps helped him in, in his struggles. But he wasn't so impressed with their religion as he was with their excellence. He was impressed with their strength, with their wisdom, with their vitality. They didn't attack the culture, but they really influenced the culture by being excellent at what they did. And by chapter 4, we find the pagan king is worshiping the Lord. Daniel and his friends become cultural influencers. Just as we're called to be salt and light in the Sermon on the Mount, so we're called to be cultural influencers. I think there's three basic responses that the church has historically taken, and, and it takes today, to the currents of culture that flow against the kingdom of God and kingdom of God values. I, I think the first response that, or one of the main responses that the church has had to currents that uh, would push against the values of the kingdom is withdrawal. We see this historically in the Anabaptist movement, and, and many of our Mennonite friends come from that movement, where they left Europe, they withdrew because of persecution. We see that in the uh, Puritan movement and, and the whole uh, uh, coming to Plymouth Rock and all of that, uh, the, the pilgrims. We see that in the Quaker movement where their response to the currents that were coming against their values was to withdraw. We also see a response uh, of uh, active resistance. This is the second way that the church historically and the church currently responds to currents that, that come against kingdom values. Active resistance. We see this in the stories that come out of Nazi Germany, where Christians hid Jews from the Nazis to protect them from the concentration camps. Um, civil rights movement, Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement would be another example of active resistance to the cross curves. This is not running away. This is not withdrawal. This isn't where they say, you know, it's so bad, it's so tough, we prayerfully consider this and we have to leave. This is, no, we're going to push against it. We're going to actively push against it. And, and we see these responses even today where, where um, sometimes uh, you, people have to leave their work environment because uh, the, the current that's going there is, is so strongly opposed to their values that they just find, don't find there's a place for them anymore. Uh, we find active resistance in people who prayerfully consider how do they respond to government or social issues, and we see people protesting. I think that's another example of 
act of resistance. Well, the third way that the church has historically and today responded to currents that push against them is through godly influence. I, I would call this godly influence, what the children of Israel are doing in our story. Uh, Christian influence on the culture really involves two factors. Now, the first factor is the individual transformation brought about by salvation or the gospel. Simply by preaching the gospel, we are influencing the culture. Because when someone comes to know Jesus, it changes their life, it changes the life of their family, and it changes the life of the little community that they're involved with. Well, we've seen this happen when alcoholics uh, uh, are transformed into becoming sober people and, and the effect, the influence, and the ripple effect that has on their family and the culture around them, where drug addicts are reformed and, and uh, where, where people who have been uh, really uh, difficult to work with at work, uh, uh, employers who've been very harsh, have become kind and generous and loving because of the effect of the gospel. We see that this has a tremendous effect on the gospel around them. The, the second way that uh, Christianity uh, influences culture is simply by modeling that occurs when believers model a better way of living. Uh, people who live out kingdom values live the best kind of life. I don't know if you've heard the story about St. Patrick and the, the conversion of Ireland from paganism to Christianity in one generation. But what St. Patrick did is that when he went to Ireland with a group of nuns and, and monks and other priests, he would establish a community next door to the pagan little town or little village uh, in Ireland. And in that little village, they would live out Christian culture. They would be loving, they would be kind, they would be generous, they would be giving to their neighbors. And what would happen is the neighbors from the, from the pagan community would begin to observe the, the Christian community and they'd begin to move over because they wanted to live in the Christian community. And by establishing these little towns, these little places where, where, where people are living out Christian values, all of a sudden the culture began to gravitate towards Christian values and they left their pagan roots. Well, when the people of God live out the values of the kingdom, it's really the best way to live. You see, um, living kingdom values isn't just a matter of taste or a matter of style. It's a matter of living the best ways that human beings were created to live. In fact, those currents that come against the values of the kingdom are, are not just a matter of style or taste. Many times they're destructive to the culture. They're destructive to humanity. John the Revelator in the book of Revelation points this out when he says that uh, these cultural trends, that these, these currents that come against the values of the kingdom of God really come from the dragon. The dragon is the devil. And the dragon has created two beasts which infiltrate the culture and bring destructive values to the culture. And the whole idea is not to help humanity, it's to destroy humanity. So when Christian influence comes into culture and, and followers of Jesus influence the surrounding area and, and, and bring the good news of Jesus Christ and begin to live out the way of Jesus, we find that really good things happen to the culture and the culture becomes less destructive. So Daniel and his friends act in Babylon in ways that the Israelites neglected while back in the safety of Jerusalem. When you think about it, 
These young men, taken out of a very safe environment, are now in a very hostile environment, and they're living out the lessons of what it really means to be faithful to God. In fact, it was this very same lesson that was being taught in the first century in, with uh, the Jews in Rome. Uh, they weren't getting it. Uh, the Jews were under Roman occupation so that they would learn to truly become faithful to God. Adverse currents, suffering, always enlivens serious followers of Jesus. In, in fact, right now, if, if, if you have no adverse currents in your life, if, if you can't point out anything that perhaps is, in, is um, coming against the values of the kingdom of God in your life, then I would be really concerned that it's because you're just floating with the current, and that's not a good place to be. We must actively seek to follow the Lord. We must prayerfully consider how we would live and then how we are influencing the culture around us. <laughs> One thing is for sure, you can't stop swimming. You know, excellence gets people's attention. It gives followers of Jesus a voice like almost nothing else. Now, some Christians act as if witnessing and churchy kinds of activities are all they're interested in doing in serving Jesus. Like they, they, they perceive of their work as, ah, that's just work. You know, I'm really serving Jesus when I'm singing in the choir or when I'm uh, on the worship team or when I'm teaching Sunday school or when I'm going to church or when I'm witnessing the gospel to my neighbor and telling them about who Jesus is. You know what? The greatest influence we have on the culture is when we're excellent in the culture and people ask us questions, why? Our work, even our leisure time, and how we act in our leisure time and in our workplaces are, is our primary opportunity for witness and service. This is what the children uh, of Israel, these, these bright young men were experiencing. They were influencing the culture because of their excellence. That's what got the attention and that's what got the, them the ability to uh, influence the culture in the ways of the Lord. Our attitude and our work ethic open doors. Let's pray. So Father, we pray that you would help us, first of all, to prayerfully consider uh, our lives and, and how we're living out our lives and the kingdom values like grace and peace and joy and, and forgiveness are, are being exemplified by the way we live. I pray that we would learn to live out those values and, and to recognize when the values of our culture or values in our workplace, the values even of our friends are sometimes are pushing against those values so that, so that we stand up and we draw the line and we say, we're not going to accept that. We're not going to allow that. We're going to influence the culture. Thank you for this wonderful story of uh, these Hebrew young men who you were involved with in helping them to influence a culture and influence a king and and thank you, Lord, that you do the same in our lives. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to prayerfully bring everything before you and to consider how you would have us to serve you in our workplaces, in our school, in our leisure activities. Thank you, Lord, that you are God. You are sovereign over all the affairs of men and that you work out your purposes even in difficult circumstances. We praise you. We bless your name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.
Thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Aldergrove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 10.30. Our Abbotsford campus has three services each Sunday, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at cscc.ca slash give. See you later.